Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Amanda Balby, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. My guest today is Dr. Bill Bowden, who is the Director of the Clinical Trials Network at the VA Boston Healthcare System and a Professor of Medicine at Boston University School of Medicine. He will be presenting on stable ischemic heart disease at the American Heart Association's 2020 scientific sessions. Today, he'll be answering my questions about his session and this very important topic. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Bowden. To start, can you give us an overview of your presentation at the AHA scientific sessions? Sure. So the topic of discussion at the AHA will really uh, center on the management of patients with stable ischemic heart disease, or what we, by, uh, for short, call SIHD. And this is a large subset of patients. Uh, well over half of all the patients with coronary heart disease have the stable variety of SIHD. And uh, altogether, uh, latest estimates from the American Heart Association is that about 17 million uh, adults in the U.S. have uh, ischemic heart disease, or SIHD. So this is a large group of patients for whom there has been controversy over the last 20 years in terms of what's the best management. So, you know, by contrast, patients who've had a heart attack or, you know, an ST segment elevation MI, the data from many randomized trials convincingly demonstrate that there's benefit to undertaking revascularization. And we typically for those patients would have them go to the cath lab and they get uh, percutaneous coronary intervention or PCI in a stent. And that's been proven to be a benefit. However, in, in this other subset of patients, again, the stable ischemic heart disease patients, which again, a, account for a half to maybe even two thirds of all the patients uh, with coronary disease, uh, there hasn't been a proven benefit from multiple randomized trials over the last 15 to 18 years. And so this has created a conundrum in terms of management. <clears throat> so, you know, broadly speaking, there are two approaches, one of which is what we refer to as the invasive strategy, which of course means the patients go to the uh, cath lab, have a coronary angiogram to elucidate the presence or absence of coronary obstructions. And then basically they would proceed on to get either a PCI procedure in a stent or potentially bypass surgery. The other approach uh, is one that embodies the use of what we refer to as optimal medical therapy or for short OMT. And this includes uh, a combination of both lifestyle intervention plus multiple medications that have been proven individually in placebo controlled trials to uh, essentially reduce death or myocardial infarction. So, so the OMT approach, if you will, embodies intensive pharmacotherapy, lifestyle interventions such as uh, weight loss, uh, diet, exercise, good blood pressure control, and of course, management of, uh, of dyslipidemia with statins. So those are the two approaches. And, and essentially during my presentation at the AHI, I'll be focusing on the more conservative approach uh, or the management of patients with optimal medical therapy. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And what does the data say about the use of revascularization among patients with stable angina? Well, the, the data, at least in terms of uh, how we would use revascularization, there are essentially two goals of revascularization. One, can you demonstrate that it will 
prolong life or increase survival? Or will it, number two, reduce myocardial infarction or heart attack? So that, that's the goal of revascularization. And as I mentioned, in the patients with acute MI or acute coronary syndrome, that has been proven to be a benefit. Uh, the other uh, goal or objective of revascularization is symptom relief or improving quality of life. And there have been at least 16 randomized trials since roughly 2000, and notably five big trials since 2007, uh, which have shown that in patients with stable ischemic heart disease, there is no benefit of revascularization on reducing death or myocardial infarction. And in fact, really the only benefit that one sees is an improvement of symptoms. But in many of these trials that have really followed patients for many years, it's observed that the benefit in terms of revascularization on symptom relief uh, decreases over time. And in the biggest trial uh, just published this past year called the ischemia trial, over 5,179 patients, and this has been a big focus of the AHA presentation, uh, is, is that uh, only in the patients who had really frequent symptoms, that is to say they had either daily or weekly angina, could you demonstrate that there was, there was really improvement in terms of revascularization? So the, the patients who had, if you will, more minimal symptoms or infrequent symptoms, uh, it, it didn't really seem to show that there was uh, a justification for uh, undertaking revascularization unless the symptoms were unacceptable to the patient. Mm -hmm, absolutely. What other medical therapies are preferred now for either the prevention or management of stable angina? So great question. And, you know, uh, I will say that over the last 10 or 15 years, you know, we, we've had many new classes of therapies that have been available to clinicians. And so, you know, we hear incessantly about the fact that procedural cardiology and in particular stents and angioplasty and so forth has evolved, you know, with advancing technology. And that's obviously true. But what often gets lost in the shuffle here is the fact that there has also been a profound evolution in pharmacotherapies over the last roughly 10 to 15 years. So for example, uh, it's only been since around the beginning of the millennium that we really had convincing evidence that using statins, for example, to lower LDL cholesterol has been proven to be a benefit. Uh, and that's been, I think, shown in, in, in many, many trials of both primary and secondary prevention. There's also, within the last few years, a, a new class of medication referred to as the PCSK9 inhibitors, which uh, are generally administered as either a biweekly or a monthly injection. Very effective treatment for further reducing LDL uh, cholesterol on top of a statin. And then just in the last few years alone, there's also been an explosion in the availability of new drugs to treat diabetes. So uh, two broad classes of these drugs are called the SGL2 inhibitors and the GLP-1 agonists. And together, these agents, when combined with statins, blood pressure lowering medications like ACE inhibitors and ARBs, antiplatelet agents uh, such as aspirin and uh, clopidogrel or other agents, uh, so we, we now have very powerful drugs to treat dyslipidemia, powerful drugs to treat diabetes, and, and of course, we have very effective drugs to uh, reduce thrombotic risk, uh, that is to say, the use of aspirin and antiplatelet issues. So in the aggregate, you know, our portfolio of medications uh, has expanded significantly, you know, to benefit patients. Mm -hmm, absolutely. 
And what would you say are the best practices for managing a patient with chronic stable angina, a positive stress test, and evidence of obstructive coronary artery disease? Right. So it's going to depend on a few factors. Uh, the first of which would be, of course, uh, to look at whether the patient's uh, anatomic burden of disease is significant. So uh, what I think came out of the ischemia trial is that there seems to be less and less benefit to looking at ischemia as a marker of potential risk. And therefore, I think uh, physicians, cardiologists in particular, are now defaulting to undertaking uh, coronary um, CTA, uh, a non-invasive anatomic assessment of anatomic disease burden. If patients are found to have left main coronary disease or significant or extensive multivessel coronary disease, and especially if they're diabetic in that context, then I think there is evidence to support the role of revascularization. Uh, and I think that's become increasingly clear. Uh, but uh, I think what's also increasingly clear is that despite the availability and the, uh, uh, you know, the effectiveness of many of the medications and, and classes that we talked about, this is still woefully underutilized. So, you know, for example, in the, in the ischemia trial that I alluded to earlier, only 41% of the patients uh, were really taking all four drug classes uh, that would uh, otherwise allow them to have the, the most benefit in terms of event reduction. So we have you know, a major challenge in terms of getting our physicians and clinicians to embrace the benefits of OMT, if you will, uh, and to really double down on medical therapy because fundamentally vascular disease, whether it occurs in the coronary arteries or in the carotid arteries is a systemic vascular disease. And the only way to really impact outcomes is to treat this disease systemically, which you can do best with optimal medical therapy, lifestyle intervention, and intensive secondary prevention. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What is your overall key take-home message for cardiologists today? So I think the key take-home message for the session is that you know we do have uh, subsets of patients for whom revascularization is beneficial and appropriate. Uh, again, these would be principally patients who have extensive anatomic coronary disease who have failed uh, optimal medical therapy. And in, in the larger subgroup of patients, in my view, uh, who either have um, infrequent or milder symptoms of angina, who do not have significant left main coronary disease or extensive uh, anatomic coronary disease, then I think uh, the data are, over, are overwhelming on the basis of multiple trials in the last 10 to 15 years that really support the benefits of using optimal medical therapy and lifestyle intervention as the first and preferred approach. And again, uh, just to reiterate a point I made earlier, I, I think the challenge is to find strategies that would allow us to more effectively utilize these medications more broadly across the population who are most likely to benefit. Great. Thank you again for speaking with me today, Dr. Bowden. Amanda, it's been a pleasure to speak with you, and thank you for the opportunity of having uh, the ability to discuss this important topic with you today and our listeners. This will be a valuable re resource for physicians uh, to consider looking at this paper. And there's also an incredible podcast that uh, Dr. Ballantin Fuster, uh, who you know, is the editor-in-chief of the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, uh, has uh, uh, undertaken as part of the uh, discussion of this paper. And so I would urge all of the 
uh, listeners to this podcast to really take an opportunity to listen to Dr. Fuster's wonderful podcast because he really highlights all of these various issues in terms of the importance of both revascularization, where it's appropriate, where it's not appropriate, and of course, optimal medical therapy as well.